Waves in the Finiverse. And normally it comes from the institutional side first when you have asset innovation in financial services. But the premise of a stable coin is it's 100% collaterally backed. It is true that crypto uh, has a high proportion of some of those challenges, but it's also natural for a new ecosystem. All non-sanctioned regions or regions that are not on the OVAC list, we accept all those customers. And so we have customers, I think, from 100 different countries. He found that uh, Solidity, just frankly, was not a good enough language. It's the kind of language that you might write Facebook in, but it's not the kind of... The, the language, our language is just called Teal, is the kind of language that you can fly airplanes in. Welcome to Waves in the Finiverse. We've had a very active day here at Singapore FinTech Festival. It's day three, the ultimate day and the conclusion of five days of back-to-back -back podcasts from Waves in the Finiverse. We began the day with Samar Sen, who is the head of Asia Pacific at Talos, and we talked about overcoming institutional barrier to investing in digital assets. If you had asked me, you know, maybe five years ago, um, what are the barriers for institutions? I would have said that probably there were a lot, right? Yeah. So first of all, this, this whole asset class came out of the retail sector first. Yeah. And normally it comes from the institutional side first when you have asset innovation in financial services. And so that's, that's, a, that's a unique thing. And so even when financial institutions realized that, hey, this asset class is interesting. I want to get involved. I want to get exposure to it. Um, there were a lot of things that they didn't have confidence in, in terms of the ecosystem being able to support their kind of flows. And so they, they would ask questions like, how do I make sure I'm not hacked? How do I move things on a blockchain? How do I make sure I can do my AML correctly? How do I connect to all these new liquidity venues? Is there credit? Are there prime brokers? Can I, can I borrow and lend? All of these things kind of didn't exist five years ago. But what I would say now, and this is the really exciting pivotal point in the industry, is a lot of these problems are solved by really great infrastructure companies that are giving institutions these key pillars for custody, for trading, that's the part that we operate in, for AML, um, and regulators are legislating and giving paths forward. So overall, it's very exciting, but there are a couple of things that probably still need to be solved around the risk management side, on the regulatory side as well. Our next guest, David Buckthought, he is head of technology of international payments and digital assets at ANZ Bank, one of the largest banks in Australia. And interestingly, we spent a good portion of the time talking about a new stablecoin introduced by ANZ Bank, the Aussie dollar stablecoin. But the premise of a stablecoin is it's 100% collaterally backed. Uh, and the reason why that's important for us uh, and important for a lot of use cases is you don't have the wild fluctuations that you can get in the uh, existing crypto market because our Aussie dollar coin one for one. So if we minted a single Aussie dollar coin, we had one Aussie dollar sitting in a reserve account held by ANZ. So that meant at any given time, you knew you had redemption um, capability for that coin. You didn't need to find a market on someone who was willing to buy it. You had a dollar that was uh, being backed by. For our next guest, Chen Arad from Solidus Labs, my colleague Maria Vovchuk stepped into the podcast booth and talked to him about their business and challenges. Whenever and wherever I talk about crypto and the market integrity and, 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 and other crime and challenges the industry is facing, it's really important for me to start and premise by saying that manipulation, scams, fraud, financial meltdowns, 
they were not invented in crypto. Okay, they exist in traditional finance. They also exist in, in non-financial worlds. You know, for example, um, when I speak to very senior compliant uh, anti-money laundering experts, they often say that a very small percentage of dollars that are laundered are ever recognized, identified, right? So really? there's a problem that it's a problem that is not just in crypto. Mm-hmm. It is true that crypto uh, has a high proportion of some of those challenges, but it's also natural for a new ecosystem, you know, uh, where regulation is still catching up. It always does with with uh, new new technology. The technology is still being battle tested. And at the same time, people are very excited about it. There's a lot of FOMO and buzz, FOMO, fear of missing out. Um, and, and people want to make quick decisions. Those three factors is a triangle that creates very fertile ground for bad actors, as you say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we deal with various kinds of uh, financial crime and crypto. You know, market manipulation is, uh, you know, something that is improving in the industry, but still is a big issue. That refers, for example, to, you know, someone who, uh, you know, would buy and, you know, would create a number of accounts and start buying and selling between them a lot to inflate the volume, let's say, of a particular asset. Now, it exists, uh, you know, it exists in traditional finance as well, but because of the way crypto works, because how, of how open it is, uh, because you have so many different accounts and it works 24-7, and also in particular, the fact that the assets are decentralized, even if they're traded, most of them are traded in centralized venues, then what you're seeing, you, you know, you can basically execute manipulation in much more sophisticated ways which require crypto native systems and one of the issues with market manipulation it's a very good way for bad actors to make money which they can then launder um now you know uh, over time we also realize there's a really big need for uh, our uh, market integrity solutions in the on-chain DeFi space and to be clear uh, you know, there are a lot of amazing companies. Many of them are partners of ours that specialize in identify where money is coming and going and associating it with, you know, ba- uh, blacklisted wallets, etc. But we are very focused on the trading dynamics and the behavior. The report you refer to is, uh, you know, one of our first uh, products that we released specifically for DeFi and on-chain. Uh, it's a it's a threat into DeFi threat into Web3 anti-money laundering solution. Julian Haas, co-founder and CEO of Cake DeFi, spoke about how the world's fastest growing DeFi platform has pivoted from their emphasis on retail with 1.3 million customers and is now using that as a base to reach out with Cake DeFi Enterprise. We accept customers from all non-sanctioned regions or regions that are not on the OVAC list. We accept all those customers. And so we have customers, I think, from 100 different countries. But we do focus on certain regions where um, we just, on the one hand, either feel that customers are very attracted to DeFi or where it's just a very interesting demographic. So we, we do have certain campaigns and certain marketing activities in various regions. But in general, we accept everyone. Um, we do, have, of course, uh, do full KYC checks. We follow all the money Very laundering. Customer. Correct. All the money laundering guidelines. Um, we uh, fraud detection. We um, any kind of uh, counter-terrorist financing measures. So we have to do all those. And that's, again, that's the CFI part. Um, and I also want to mention, I mean, this always brings up a little bit of a friction with the DeFi purists who then say, hey, you know, you're actually not doing that. But my counter to that is, but in return, I have 1.3 million customers that I bring into that ecosystem that couldn't do it themselves or wouldn't want to do it themselves. They appreciate the help that we provide them, right? So I do understand if if you can do it all yourself and you want to do it all yourself, please go for it, right? There's nothing stopping you. We just want to 
we, we attract those customers that, that are absolutely fine with the additional measures and in return, get the handholding, get the customer experience, get the easy access. And yeah, so that's where the win-win comes from. Bram Cohen, the CEO and founder of Chia Network, was our next guest. Bram introduced us to the concept of proof of space time as the method of validating transactions on the Chia network. And if you're going to write on Chia network, you're going to have to learn Chia Lisp, the native language of that chain. The company was started in 2017. I'd been noodling on what the general approach should be for a while. The immediate plans at the very beginning were, uh, let's make something that instead of being proof of work is based off proofs of space and time and does something better for on-chain for the on-chain programming environment and all i had to do to do this was invent proofs of space invent proofs of time figure out how to stitch them all together and figure out a new on-chain programming environment we were on a bit of a roll with blockchain because next in the booth was stacy warden the ceo of algorand foundation stacy joined the foundation as ceo coming from a more traditional background in finance but really was motivated not just by the technology but also by financial inclusivity and i think one of the um i kind of call it a bit of a deal with the devil that silvio made in the beginning, which was that he found that uh, Solidity just frankly was not a good enough language. It's the kind of language that you might write Facebook in, but it's not the kind of, the, the language that our language is just called Teal is the kind of language that you can fly airplanes in. It's not very, it doesn't let you make mistakes. And so as a result, we couldn't just import, you know, a couple of thousand Solidity developers from Ethereum. We had to attract developers from the beginning. And this is part of the reason maybe we were off to a little bit of a slower start when we started, because we had to convince uh, developers to learn this new language. And right now, I will say my top three priorities are developers, developers, and developers. And our new CTO, John Woods, is determined to make developer tools his number one priority. We're going to be launching a new developer tool suite in January or maybe February, but we think January. And we are having a concierge, he, he talks about this constantly, a concierge level development rela developer relations experience. So really just very white glove to help developers. And they are, they are coming. I mean, we just see so much more, the anecdotal evidence in our Discord and our, our, you know, we just keep having to hire more DevRel people. So we're getting a lot of interest. And then the, the third piece to that is developer education. And so we are launching a whole new suite of developer education tools and, you know, revamping our whole developer education, our, our zero to hero experience. So yeah, lots of, lots of good stuff coming that way for sure. When in Singapore, you've got to meet Hak Lai Chia. He is the co-chair of the Blockchain Association of Singapore and the founding president of the FinTech Association of Singapore. This is his seventh year here at Singapore FinTech Festival, and we spoke about how you build a community amongst the users of these new technologies. Uh, to be frank, uh, we only started with like probably 50 members early last year, and today we already crossed 200 mark for corporate members, and we have another 100 plus uh, individual members. Um, interestingly is that we have six bank members. That is almost unheard of in other blockchain associations. Uh, two of them are the crypto banks who got their license uh, from Switzerland, Signum Bank and Seba Bank. Uh, and locally, we have uh, UOB, 
DBS Bank, BNY Mellon, and Standard Charter. In fact, we even signed an MOU with BNY Mellon to be our institutional dig digital asset collaborator. So you can see that uh, definitely, at least for the association, uh, we see institutional crypto to be a larger play, uh, panning out over the longer run. Escape Crypto Winter. Join Web3 and fintech leaders at D3 Bahamas on Paradise Island in the Bahamas from the 24th to the 26th of January. I was joined in the booth by Jason Lau, the Chief Operating Officer of OKCoin. OK and we talked about how they've been expanding globally and as the chief operating officer, some of the challenges and things that keep him up at night. Yeah, for us, uh, obviously, with the broader market, uh, volumes and activity have declined and prices have declined. I think that's, those are very visible signs of uh, what the crypto winter's impact has been. Um, but behind the scenes, like I mentioned earlier, when we talk to our clients, uh, there's tremendous interest in making sure that they are well positioned and set up because, again, it takes time for these institutions to navigate all the legal compliance uh, uh, pathways to make sure that they're ready when things turn. And so one thing that we're doing, actually, is uh, we work, uh, we're a member of this industry group called ISDA, which is a financial, uh, uh, a group of 900 plus financial companies and banks and um, uh, all, all around the world to set standards on how uh, financial institutions trade amongst each other. And so we're, we're one of the few crypto uh, companies on there. And really what we're trying to do is explain to people how crypto work. How do we set those best standards, best standards and agreements so that when the time comes and you want to do that trading and, and uh, uh, agreements, we have those agreements already set up in place, like templates already in place. So again, this, this takes time, right? These are lawyers talking back and forth, figuring out the finer points of, of, of these agreements. But look, it's, it's, this is what you do during a crypto winter, right? You take the time and uh, see what's missing and, and building those pieces. Wrapping up the day, Maria Vovchuk stepped back into the podcast booth and spoke with Hong Chi Liu, the CEO of Tokenize Exchange. Maybe I'll take a step back and talk about the licensing is for under 2020 Payment Service Act framework. So in this framework, uh, since 2020, if you want to operate cryptocurrency business, you have to apply for a license. And the priority given to those who have operated before 2020, they can file for exemption. So if you file for exemption, you can continue running your business while you are continue, you know, uh, talking to the regulators and eventually translate into a licensing. Without that, you can't actually operate a cryptocurrency business in Singapore. It's illegal. And that wraps up day three of Singapore FinTech Festival. I hope you've enjoyed these daily recaps. It's been five days of FinTech festivals, first in Hong Kong, now in Singapore. And I hope you've enjoyed these summaries. Look forward to the full episodes on Waves in the Finiverse. Please do subscribe. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. And we look forward to seeing you again in the Finiverse. I'm Walter Jennings, your host. Thank you for listening. This has been Waves in the Finiverse. Why not hit the subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode? If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please leave us a review and a five-star rating. Thanks for listening.